Welcome back, friends. So glad you could join us. We continue our discussion of the documents of Vatican II, and in this episode, we're going to look at the decree on the Church's missionary activity, the Latin title, Agentes, to the nations. In this document, the Council Fathers explain to us the missionary goal of the Church, and it's not just for the Church at large, but for each member of the Church, the local Church as well as the universal Church. Because the church herself is basically missionary. And it comes from the Latin word, mito, to be sent, to send. In fact, we're reminded of this so aptly at the end of Mass. When the priest concludes the Mass, he says, go the Mass is ended. Well, it's not an accurate translation of the Latin text. The Latin text at the end of Mass says, ite misa est, which doesn't translate literally, go, Mass is ended. It translates, ite, go, Misa est, they are sent, they being the congregation. So once Mass concludes, we are now sent into the world, sent now that we receive the Word of God, and we've now received the body and blood of the Lord in the Holy Eucharist, we are now sent into the world. And so the conclusion of every liturgy, every Eucharistic celebration, we are sent, and therefore we are missionaries. We're sent out by virtue of our baptism, and especially after confirmation, when we become apostles of the Lord in a spiritual sense, we are sent out as missionaries. Now, typically, we think of missionaries as the Franciscans and Dominicans and Jesuits who got on their little boats and sailed into the Amazons or up into the upper regions of North America and Canada, many of whom were killed and martyred for the faith. We think of the missionary work in South America, Central America, out in the West. We think of all the missions in California. And indeed, that is one aspect of missionary. We also think of the missions that we established in other parts of the world, in other, other continents. We think of all the missionaries that we sent into other parts of the world when priests and sisters would leave our United States and would go to other countries to preach the gospel. And these are all missionaries. But you and I, right here in our own time, in our own place, in our own neighborhood, in our own home, at our own work, are called to be missionary. And the church herself today is called to be missionary. And this document explains why. Looking first at do uh, paragraph one of the document, Agentes, having been divinely sent to the nations that she might be the universal sacrament of salvation, the church in obedience to the command of her founder, and because it is demanded by her own essential universality, strives to preach the gospel to all men. Jesus was sent by the Father. And our Lord said, I'm going to the Father, and we will send the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit came down upon the apostles at Pentecost, and gathered there around the apostles and the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit descended as of tongues of fire on their head. And then they went out and they preached the gospel. They became missionaries. Someone who spreads the gospel, who preaches the word. And the word, as we mentioned before, from Dei Verbum, the word is both spoken and written. It is sacred tradition and scripture. It is the totality of the word made flesh, the communication of God's truths to us through Holy Revelation. And the church herself has been missionary from day one, from the day that Jesus founded it, 
as we saw in Matthew's Gospel in the 16th chapter, Thou art Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church. We see it at the point of the Last Supper when he says, Do this in memory of me, commissioning his apostles to continue the Eucharistic sacrifice and the sacraments. And when he went and sent them out two by two, when he sent out the disciples, when he sent his apostles, and just before his ascension, after his resurrection, he sent them. He breathed upon them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He gave them the power to forgive sins in his name. And then they were to go and preach the good news, the gospel. That practice which began with them continued on as we saw with St. Paul and the other apostles, disciples, those who followed in their footsteps when Barnabas came on board, when all the rest. And throughout the centuries, the church has been missionary. But over the ages, people have confused what mission means. Mission means being sent. Therefore, someone must send you. One does not just go on their own. One must go as an authorized representative. And it's much more than just having credentials with you, an ID badge, I work with the church. But that one be authorized so that one can speak in, in the name of the one who had sent them. In the same way, when the president or the prime minister or king or queen sends an ambassador to another nation, that person has credentials with them and they represent the person who sent them and they're treated as if they were that other person. And so when missionaries go out, they are to bring Christ as if Christ himself were right there. And that is the whole purpose of the missionary movement of the church, to bring Christ to others. As we'll also see in another document, it's not forcing the faith down someone's throat. It's not compelling them to embrace the truth, but it's making it known to them, exposing them to the truth, inviting them into full membership, asking them to consider coming into full communion. That's what true missionary work is. This beautiful document, therefore, tells us some beautiful principles in chapter 1, beginning with paragraph 2. The church on earth is by its very nature missionary, since according to the plan of the Father, it has its origin in the mission of the Son and the Holy Spirit. This plan flows from the fountain-like love, the love of God the Father, as a principle without principle from whom God the Son is generated and from whom God the Holy Spirit proceeds through in His great and merciful kindness freely creates us and moreover graciously calls us to share in the divine life and glory. God generously pours out and never ceases to pour out His divine goodness so that He who is creator of all things might at last become all in all. God wishes that everyone know about Him and yet He also chooses to use us. He doesn't have to. He can just make everyone know about Him. But then again, it wouldn't be faith, would it? Faith is believing on the word of another. We believe in Jesus because we have heard about Him. We believe in Him. We take His word. If we had proof and evidence, it wouldn't be faith. It would be knowledge. But faith is believing what you cannot see. And therefore, as agents of faith, we talk to others about Jesus. We explain to them about Jesus, His church, His sacraments, His grace. And that's being a missionary. You don't have to think about Calcutta, India. You don't have to think about different regions of the world, different continents, where the change of climate is so drastic and different from your own. 
You don't even have to think about speaking another language. You could be a missionary right in your own backyard, right in your home, at school, and at work. And the church continues this missionary zeal in spreading the faith. That's why we're so happy every year so many more people come into full communion into the Catholic Church at the Easter Vigil. Where are these people coming from? Most of them are not newcomers to our country. Most of them are people who were born and raised right here. How did that happen? Because people were continuing the missionary work of the church. Right at work, right at home, right at school. This document then for continues to tell us the importance of the ministry of Jesus. Notice that once he turned 30 and he began his, his public ministry, our Lord himself began the missionary work. He went to different places. He walked. He traveled. He visited many towns and places. He didn't stay in one spot. He preached the news of salvation, the coming of the kingdom of God. He preached the beautiful Sermon of the Mount. He told us how to pray. He told us especially how to forgive, how to love, and to believe in Him. And then He set up His church. He set up the church founded upon the rock of Peter and the apostles, and He sent them out. But He also sends us. He sends us to spread that news more by example than by sermon. Oh yes, there will be times during the year when you'll have a missionary come visit your parish on a Sunday and he'll preach a sermon, he'll give a homily at Mass and ask you to help in the missionary work of the church. He'll ask you, and you should be generous in supporting World Mission Sunday when the whole world helps the Holy Father in spreading the word all over the world, the word of salvation, the, world of, the word of truth. But you and I are also asked to be missionary by the way we live, the way we act, in following the commandments, in accepting the truths of our faith, especially as contained in the Catechism, in treating our brothers and sisters with love and charity and justice. That's being a missionary. Because when people see how we live, then they start to ask, well, what do you believe? Because if our actions coincide with our beliefs, that attracts people to want to know more, and then they want to be a part of that. This document, therefore, continues on by telling us, it is clear, missionary activity flows immediately from the very nature of the church. The church is not just something sedentary, it's not some institution that's just there and waits for people to come to her. She reaches out. Why? Because she loves her children. Even those who have not yet come into the fold, her children-to-be, in a sense. Like when my cousin went to adopt a new baby from China. She went all the way over there to get that baby so that she would become her own daughter. The baby didn't come to her. She had to go for her. And my cousin went and got that baby and now she is part of her family. She is as if it were her own daughter by birth. And she loves that child. That's like Holy Mother Church going out looking for us, those who have not yet come into full communion, those who have strayed away like the prodigal son, who've left the practice of the church. Missionary work isn't just for those who've never heard the gospel. Maybe those who've only heard part of it. Those who've only heard half of it. Those who've never heard the spoken word, but only the written word. And of course, those who've abandoned the word. Those who have left the faith. Paragraph 7 tells us, 
The reason for the missionary activity lies in the will of God, who wishes all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. God created us with an intellect and a will. That intellect is oriented towards the truth, just as the will is oriented to the good. And so, therefore, every human being, no matter what their nationality, their race, no matter what their culture, no matter what their gender, their intellect is oriented to the truth. And as we saw before, truth covers a number of areas. Scientific truth, philosophical truth, theological truth. And the theological truth that there is but one God, He is three in one. He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save us from our sins. He died for us. He shed His blood for us. He set up His church to give us His grace and sacraments to guide and teach us. These truths are something our intellect not only wants to know, but needs to know. And therefore, our job is to be instruments of conveying that truth, of spreading the truth. And so, therefore, the missionary activity of the church is very evangelical. Now, oftentimes we hear of evangelical as being a term to ascribe to a various branch of Protestant Christians. But we're all called to be evangelists of a sense, people of the gospel who proclaim the good news, missionaries who are sent out to spread the good news. So we can be evangelists of a sense, to be apostles in a sense, to be missionaries in a sense. We can ascribe particular people, that particular category, missionaries as religious who go on a mission to a faraway place. But that's not the only type. When you go to work, when you go to school, when you meet with family and friends, neighbors, and you talk about Christ in a loving way, when you use language that is kind, respectful, courteous, when you show forgiveness and mercy, when you don't hold a grudge, when you're not seeking revenge, your neighbors, friends, and co-workers notice that. You are being a missionary at that very moment. When you talk to people and say, have you prayed? Can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? When you offer someone the counsel that maybe you are able to give to them, or if you recommend to them, have you spoken to your pastor lately? Have you gone to your priest or minister or rabbi? That's being missionary. But also offering, there is a place that you can come to to receive mercy and forgiveness, and that is in within Christ's church. All a missionary does is someone who offers who extends the hand of welcome and says, I have this to offer you. I have this to offer you because I was sent to you by the Lord and His church to offer you truth, grace, life. In paragraph 9 we read, The period between the first and second coming of the Lord is a time of missionary activity. Jesus came to earth. He stayed some 30 years. He died. He rose. He ascended into heaven. Now, for the next period of time between our Lord's ascension and His second coming is a time of mission. That's why at the end of Mass we say, Ite Misa Est. We are sent. That's why we come to Mass every week, because we need to be recharged. The purpose of coming to Mass every week is, yes, to render worship to God, to pray and worship, to praise the triune God. It's to give us strength, however, too, so that the rest of the week, those other six days, we can be missionaries. We can be a gospel, a sermon, a homily in life. 
So when people see how we live, now, if what we do the rest of the week doesn't coincide with Sunday, then we're not being missionaries. If people see that I get real angry and nasty to people, that I want to seek revenge, when they see that I can't wait to sue someone the first time something goes wrong, that's not being missionary. That's being self-serving, egotistical. When they see that I turn the other cheek, I go out of my way to help someone in need, when they see that I'm a person of prayer and that is genuine, that I see my duty to my family, my church, my community before myself, that is a way in which I spread the gospel. The document continues, the preaching and celebration of the sacraments of which the Holy Eucharist is the center and summit, that goes back to Sacrosanctum Concilium, missionary activity makes Christ present, he who is the author of salvation. We're told about witnessing. And again, we often think of witnesses when someone stands up before a group and testifies either in a court of law or in a religious gathering. We're told in paragraph 11, all Christians by example of their lives and the witness of the word wherever they live have an obligation to manifest the new man which they put on in baptism to reveal the power of the Holy Spirit by whom they were strengthened at confirmation so that others seeing their good works might glorify the Father and more perfectly perceive the true meaning of human life and the universal solidarity of mankind. Recall that beautiful scene in Matthew's Gospel at the end of time when the Master returns and separates the sheep from the goats. The goats go off to eternal damnation of hell. The sheep go to the righteousness reward of heaven. And what determines which side of the fence they're on? I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was lonely and you visited me. I put my faith into action. I believed and then I did. That's being a missionary. Putting the gospel into practice and letting people see that. Seeing our words and actions coincide. And therefore, we have nothing to worry about on Judgment Day. And that's what our Lord spoke about in Matthew's Gospel. That's what this beautiful document talks about. We further read the preaching of the Gospel and the assembling of the people of God. The Holy Council reminds us in this document that this is not just something we do alone. We have to do it together. So we need the church's support in this. So people just don't go out and say, I'm going to be a missionary today and take their Bible with them and their rosary and the catechism and just go out on the street corner. Some people have done that. But to be truly effective, one must remember that we are part of a family of faith. That I need the support of my brothers and sisters. And it's not that we're going out now and ganging up on people, but we want to show that I'm not alone in this. There are other people just like me, who share this faith, this belief. Therefore, when people get together in their homes, when they discuss prayer, grace, when they study the catechism, when they study the sacred scriptures, when they talk about the faith, they talk about religion, and especially at a time when someone's in great need, like a death in the family, when someone just lost their job, their marriage has just broken up, some horrible tragedy has happened, that's when friends and neighbors move in. That's when someone shows them 
This is what it means to believe. That's spreading the gospel. Especially to our young people, the document continues by telling us that it's so important that we set good example, not for just those who are not of our faith, but for the young people who are just learning their faith. That in a sense we have to be missionary to them too. Because the world's bombarding them with all kinds of contradictory values. Things that go against the gospel, go against Christ and his church. Self-serving needs. Selfish needs. Appease every whim and fancy. Any desire of the flesh. That's what the world tells them. If you can get away with it, do it. And yet Christ says, no, love until sacrifice. What can I do rather than what can I get? Doing for others more than what can they do for me. And that's a message our young people are in desperate need of. If they don't see you and I as adults practicing it, then why do we have any desire or even any foolish idea that people not of our faith are going to listen to us if even our young people won't believe it? We're told further on in this beautiful document, wherever it happens to be opportune, Episcopal conferences, the diaconate should be restored as a permanent state of life in accordance with the norms of the Constitution of the Church. Right here in this missionary activity of church, we see the council asking for the restoration of the permanent diaconate. Because the permanent deacon is a man who is not a priest, but he is, is in holy orders. A permanent deacon can be married if he's married before ordination. He is a man who works in the world, but is also a part of holy orders. And since the Vatican Council, in the Western Church, Eastern Church has always had permanent deacons. In the Western Church, we've seen the advent of the permanent diaconate. These are men ordained, but also men who work in the world. And they become missionary in the way that they spread the gospel in their daily life, in their family, in their home, in their work, as well as in their public liturgical service in the church. So the document tells us that we should also think about, respect, and encourage the role of catechists. These are men and women who teach the faith. They're not necessarily ordained, they're not necessarily consecrated religious, but they're men and women who love the church, who love Jesus and the faith, and they teach it to our young people, to our adults. Many times in different parts of the world, the catechist is the only person of the church someone may know. The priest isn't able to come every week or every month, but there's a catechist in many towns and villages who instructs the people in the faith, goes over the catechism with them, reads the Bible with them, prays with them, prays the rosary, the liturgy of the hours, prays with them when they're in time of trouble and time of joy. And then, when the priest is able to come on these long journeys to celebrate the Holy Sacraments, then they celebrate together. But in some parts of the world, the catechist is the only one who's there seven days a week. Here in America, we're very fortunate that we have so many vocations. And yet, even here, we're in desperate need of catechists, people to teach our faith, whether in the parochial school or in CCD. The document concludes by telling us it is so important and imperative that we see this as a baptismal call from every man, woman, and child to spread the gospel. On a global scale, there are still many, many, many people who don't know about Christ. There are how many billions of people in the world and how many of them have never heard of Jesus 
or of the Catholic faith. So there's still much work to be done on a global scale. And in your very neighborhood, how many people are not churched? Don't go to any particular church whatsoever. How many of them are that close to becoming Catholic, but the only reason why they haven't come any closer was that nobody gave them a good enough example or nobody asked them to. Nobody invited them. Come to Mass with us sometimes. Invite them into your home. Let them see what a Catholic family is like. This document is something that we should read, not just when we're thinking about people in faraway lands, but it's something that you and I should study again and again because it reminds me I have a duty and obligation as a member of the church to spread the word. And the best way possible is by giving good example. To pray for the missionary work of the church, to contri contribute any way I can, whether it's donating time. Some people give a year or two, if they're able to, to missionary work. Others can only give maybe a, a financial contribution. We can all pray every day for the missionary work of the church. But above all else, we can give good example. Let people see, I am trying. I'm not doing this perfectly because none of us is perfect, but I'm trying to live my Catholic Christian faith. I'm trying to follow commandments. I'm trying to follow Christ. I'm trying to forgive my enemies. I'm trying to sacrifice my will and surrender it to the will of God. I won't do this perfectly, but I'm going to make every effort and I'm never going to give up because the devil's greatest weapon is discouragement. And the only remedy to discouragement is true hope. And that's what missionary work is about, hope. Looking to the future, seeing what can be, what should be, what ought to be, and allowing things to happen to bring it to fruition. As we conclude this document, and we continue on with our other documents of Vatican II, they're all interconnected. This document relied heavily on Lumen Gentium, the dogmatic constitution of the Church, also on Gaudium et Spes. So each document is intricately interconnected. They're not in isolation any more than the parts of the Catechism would be, any more than the books of the Bible are. Everything has a cohesive union to it, and that's the beauty of our faith. Well, we thank you for your kind attention and invite you to come back again sometime. May God bless you and Mary keep you.